The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 88 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This episode, we are taking a look at Avengers number 83, Come On In, The Revolution's Fine. This issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Herb Cooper, and it comes to us in December of 1970. Starting off with our cover, I enjoy this cover. I really like it. Valkyrie looks great, as does Black Widow. Medusa does appear to be a little off color model. Typically, her costume is a little bit more dark purple than dark blue, but still looks good. And quite honestly, it's really an easily forgivable thing, given how often things change in this era. Also, the defeated male Avengers look really good. There's plenty of detail, and their body poses are very natural, given what we, the reader, presume to have just happened. Now it is worth pointing out that this is the first Avengers issue where we get to see Black Widow in her new costume. Last time she was in Avengers was issue number 76 and it was still in her old costume. However, it did change in her next comic appearance, which was Amazing Spider-Man number 86. This costume is really the first iteration of what we would consider her modern and iconic costume, and it also changes her hair color from black to red. Now on the cover here, Valkyrie says... From now on, it's the Valkyrie and her Lady Liberators. Some of the references I have come across have described the group as having been called the Lady Liberators on the cover, and then just the Liberators within the issue. I, however, am inclined to believe that the Lady Descriptor on the cover is really more of an adjective as opposed to a part of the team's name. It's descriptive of the team and not necessarily their name, like the Mighty Avengers in this era. Though, of course, there will later be a, a team named the Mighty Avengers. Diving into our issue, while in town to visit an ailing ant, Janet Van Dyne, formerly known as the Avenger Wasp, decides to pay her old teammates a visit. Little does she know that there has been a change in management at Avengers Mansion. Upon entering the meeting room where the team would hold counsel, Wasp is greeted by several of her fellow female heroes. Black Widow and Scarlet Witch are old allies, while Madame Medusa is at least known to the Avenger. The group's leader, however, is new and introduces herself as Valkyrie. So right off the bat here, I want to know why Wasp is entering Avengers Mansion via a ventilation duct. She is more or less a former Avenger. She could even be described at this point as a reserve Avenger. However, the teammates are all still her friends, so sh there shouldn't be any reason for her not to be coming in through the front door. It's kind of an odd decision to make. I will say, though, Wasp does look really good on this opening page. Now, what's fun here is we go from a fairly standard panel layout to a double page splash. And it's been a while since we've had one of these, and this one really does not disappoint. I think it's a great way to open up this issue. It also marks the first official appearance of Valkyrie, although as we'll see later in the issue, not everything is added as it appears. So just keep that in mind. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the issue. When Wasp begins to question why this group is in Avengers Mansion, Scarlet Witch informs her that the building is now under the control of the Liberators, a new all-female team. Black Widow then asks, 
Wasp to join them for a moment and hear what they have to say. Now this opening sequence is a little bit on the ominous side, with the assembled women calling themselves the Liberators and having taken control of Avengers Mansion. Valkyrie isn't exactly threatening, but she has a very strong and distinct presence within the assembled group. The way she holds her body, the declarations she makes, the fact that she's holding a spear, right? All these very powerful imagery give the scene a little bit more of a ominous or threatening overtone. So with this, Valkyrie begins to tell her story. While working at a lab for Dr. Irwin, Valkyrie finds herself pushed aside and looked down upon by the men she is working with merely because she is a woman. Determined to prove that she was even better than they were, Valkyrie worked late into the night and fell asleep while still clutching a smoking test tube. When she awoke, she found she had gained superhuman abilities, and after that she vows to use her powers in pursuit of female dominance and begins to call herself Valkyrie. So Valkyrie is a little stereotypical of a militant feminist, but really that that's part of her persona. Having said that, her origin story here is a bit on the vague side, even for heroes of this era. Obviously, a more modern story would definitely attempt to techno-babble their way through a lot of this stuff, more than a vintage comic does, more than a Silver Age comic would. Having said that, this issue is still really light on the details, so already something seems to be amiss, and we will see more of that as the issue progresses. So although her story is compelling, the assembled women don't immediately see how the Avengers and other male heroes are to blame for the slights that they have suffered. Valkyrie then begins to make the case that in every instance, the male heroes have taken credit and glory for themselves while simultaneously belittling the contributions of the women. Valkyrie specifically points to headlines that refer to Quicksilver and his sister, as well as the fact that Black Widow was repeatedly turned down from membership in the Avengers as evidence to support her argument. One after another, the heroes fall silent as they are unable to refute Valkyrie's claims. With all of the other women on her side, Valkyrie and the heroes take to the skies in Valkyrie's chariot in order to attend to urgent business. Now, Valkyrie does make some good points about the lack of equal representation and credit, and that really is kind of a meta commentary both within the comic book universe and in general about comics, both the representation and credit that goes to female heroes as well as female creative teams. And unfortunately, a lot of that can still be applied to modern times. Unfortunately, Valkyrie exaggerates a lot of her points in order to sell this particular narrative. Take, for example, the fact that Black Widow did try and become an Avenger for quite a while, which is a true statement, but then Valkyrie ignores the fact that she was offered membership and turned it down because at the time she was looking to quit the superhero business. So yes, it took them a little while to come along to the idea of Black Widow being an Avenger, but then she was offered the chance. So while this is all going on, we find the rest of the Avengers in Rutland, Vermont. And the Avengers are the guests of honor of a Mr. Tom Fagan, a local comics creator and co-founder of the town's Halloween parade. So this is a cool little bit of comic book history. 
in Rutland, Vermont, which is a real town, there is an annual Halloween parade, and it was originally put on in part by this Mr. Tom Fagan. Mr. Fagan did work within the comics industry, though I had a difficult time finding anything specifically that he had worked on. But it wasn't uncommon for various comic writers and artists to attend this Halloween parade, especially given how close New York and Vermont are. In this particular show, we actually see our writer Roy Thomas and his wife Jeannie represented in the comic. Roy Thomas is dressed up as Spider-Man. It's kind of fun. If you dig into it a little bit more, Rutland and Mr. Fagan both show up in several comics over the years, and entertainingly, Mr. Fagan is often portrayed when he appears in Marvel comics as the character Nighthawk, because typically for Halloween, he would dress as Batman, and Nighthawk being the more contemporary analogy for Batman in Marvel comics, and the fact that, you know, Marvel couldn't put a DC character in, they would show Mr. Fagan as, as Nighthawk. Now, having said that, I did really enjoy these couple of panels because there is a lot of little stuff comic book wise in here. There is what appears to be an Adam West style Batman in the crowd at the parade. In two panels, one more than the other, there is someone who looks a lot like DC's character Deadman, who came out about two years before this issue. And then there is even a character who looks like the old EC Comics Crypt Keeper, who is passing by the float. These are great little Easter eggs. Again, if you don't know who these characters are, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect how you read this comic, but they're fun little Easter eggs about comics and about Rutland, Vermont and their Halloween parade and how it weaves itself in and out of comics history. So I will definitely be putting pictures of these panels on our Instagram and I will be doing my best to circle and highlight uh, the characters involved. You know, let me know what you think. And, and you know, there maybe there are characters that I missed. Little do the Avengers realize that while they are enjoying their revelries, lurking nearby are the Masters of Evil, who have recently escaped from prison. Having led their escape, Claw now takes control of the team and directs them to kidnap the renowned mathematician and expert on parallel time, Dr. T.W. Irwin. As the Masters of Evil approach Dr. Irwin, Vision notices that they may not be simple revelers in costume, but in fact the real Masters of Evil. With this, the Avengers spring into action, and soon the small town of Rutland is engaged in a vicious life-or-death struggle between the Avengers and the Masters of Evil, with a tide of battle swinging back and forth between the two teams. Now this is a really interesting thing, a really interesting place for the Masters of Evil to plan their attack. I have to give them credit though, because it does provide them with a certain degree of cover, given that they're wearing pretty crazy costumes and a Halloween parade provides them some cover that they normally wouldn't be afforded. Now, obviously, I'm not going blow by blow through these through this fight. It is a fairly large fight, and it is a, a pretty well choreographed fight. There are some standout moments. I love there is a giant sound explosion when Claw shoots the Avengers float. I think both from a color standpoint and just a general action standpoint. It's a very nice panel. There's also a great panel where Goliath is holding up a car as a shield and Melter is using his gun against it and portions of the car are liquefying and slagging off. It's, a, I think, a very well done effect. I once again have to reiterate that Whirlwind has one of the dumbest costumes ever. And when I say ever, I am in fact including 90s extreme characters with pouches and spikes and all of their glory. 
Whirlwind still has one of the dumbest costumes. Now, the other thing worth pointing out here is that this fight is going down and it's a pretty vicious fight with absolutely no regard for this entire small town. They are just demolishing this poor town. I am stunned at how much destruction is actually being portrayed in this issue. People are getting thrown through buildings. Walls are collapsing. Goliath is using a tree like a baseball bat. They are really not holding back. And it's kind of impressive how much destruction is being poured onto this poor town. As the battle continues, it is only with the timely arrival of Valkyrie and her liberators that victory lies firmly with the Avengers. Unfortunately, that victory is short-lived as the Liberators quickly turn on the Avengers and take Dr. Irwin into custody. Now, it's interesting that when the Liberators show up, the first thing they do is go after the Masters of Evil, and then they turn on the Avengers. So they take out one enemy, and then they go after another one. When they left the mansion, it was definitely implied that their first goal was going to be to take out the Avengers. And in fairness, they do so pretty quickly. But I don't know, to me, it makes more sense to go after both sides at the same time. Go after your enemy while they're weakest, while they're fighting someone else, and then overcome both as opposed to taking down one side. So now the Avengers only have one enemy to deal with as opposed to the Liberators and the Masters of Evil. That just seems like a better plan to me. Returning to Dr. Irwin's lab, the Liberators behold the parallel time projector. Having what she truly desires, Valkyrie can no longer keep up her facade and reveals herself to be the mighty sorceress Enchantress. After having been banished along with Executioner, Enchantress is abandoned by her companion when he is seduced by Queen Cassiolina. Seeking vengeance and having been spurned, Enchantress swears to take out her rage on all men everywhere. To further this end, Enchantress sought out Dr. Irwin's device in order to return to Asgard and restore her full powers. So, as I mentioned, this is the first appearance of Valkyrie, but not really. Now, the Valkyrie we will see in the future looks exactly like this Valkyrie. Is dressed the same way, the same blonde hair, same armor. In many ways, same power set until she's revealed to be Enchantress. But in this case, it's not actually Valkyrie. It's not actually Brunhilda is her real name. It is, in fact, the Enchantress. Now, I gotta say, I really enjoy this reveal. Valkyrie is one of my favorite, let's say, more obscure characters. She's not, you know, an A-lister. She's kind of a, a C-lister, especially in the comics. Uh, I do think Tessa Thompson did a fantastic job as the character, and I'm really excited to see her do more with the character in Thor Blood and Thunder whenever we happen to get that film. But, you know, Valkyrie's not like an A-lister here. But I really like the fact that this is revealed to be Enchantress because Enchantress is a character that is willing to do whatever needs to be done in order to achieve her goals. She's very much an agent of chaos, and this kind of thing is totally within her M.O., I really like it. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't expecting it. When I saw the cover, when I first opened up this issue, I was like, oh, sweet, Valkyrie. The first issue with Valkyrie, it's a character I love. And then I get this reveal at the end, and I was like, I mean, it makes sense given what's been going on and the somewhat non-heroic nature of Valkyrie's actions. But, you know, I was wondering, is is there things about Valkyrie I don't know? Did she start as a villain and then become a hero? Like, what what's the, what's the story here? And then I get a twist that I wasn't expecting, and it was a lot of fun. And of course, as we often see, man, Executioner screwed this one up. Like, everyone is going to suffer because Executioner made a stupid choice. And like, this is a prime example of the phrase, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Ooh, yeah. Executioner is bringing hell down on everyone.
Just as Enchantress is attacked by Scarlet Witch, the Enchantress disappears by a means that is very obviously not of her own devising. With that, the parallel time projector explodes, leaving a smoking crater within the lab. Although the immediate threat is over and the remaining Liberators have been freed from Enchantress's spell, Scarlet Witch and Wasp still have some choice words for their male counterparts regarding equal treatment. So the end of this issue is a little bit odd. The sequence of events in which Enchantress goes somewhere that she doesn't expect to go and that nobody has any idea where she has gone, it's a little bit, I don't want to say forced, but it is a little bit quick. Now part of that is we are going to dig into this next issue. So the next issue really picks up from where we're at right now. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't really give us much of a satisfying ending. Enchantress is defeated, but we don't really know how or by whom. And with the spell broken, everybody kind of just goes their own, their own way. Now, having said that, you know, looking overall, it's a fun issue. And I do think it leads nicely into the next issue. It's not really the start of some kind of crazy story arc, but it feels more like a Claremontian ongoing saga. Uh, if you don't know what I mean by Claremontian, go read really Bronze Age, late Silver Age X-Men, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, which although it was written, that was written by Len Wein, immediately thereafter, Chris Claremont takes over the series and writes X-Men for the next 17 years. And Claremont is known for playing the long game. He will put in threads and do things with characters that he's been building for literally years. So that kind of ongoing narrative that isn't necessarily a specific story arc is often referred to as being kind of Claremontian. So the, the next several issues are going to be kind of a continuing story, though not necessarily a specific story arc. As I've mentioned, Valkyrie is a character I really enjoy, although this isn't really the same character. I still enjoy seeing her in the comics, and she is at least very visually on model for future outings. I have to give the creative team a lot of credit here. There's a lot going on in this issue, but it never really seems to be a problem, and I actually feel like we get more story out of this issue than it's 20 pages implies. It feels like this is more of like a 25 page or 30 page issue just based on the amount of things that happen, but really it, it it's only 20 pages. Now, I would say it's not a prime example of how to write an amazing issue of comics, but it is a very good example of what an issue can look like and what it can feel like when a creative team is having a lot of fun with their story. Obviously, there are a number of deep cuts into comics history and a lot of meta contexts surrounding the Marvel Universe, but none of it is so essential to the story that you suffer because of it. Honestly, before reading the story, I had no idea about Rutland, Vermont, but because I was curious, I, was, I wanted to know if it was a real place, I did a quick Google search and a couple of Wikipedia articles and some other articles later, I had found a nice little rabbit hole on the internet to go climb down for a little while and I learned some cool stuff. If I didn't care if Rutland was a real place, then it doesn't impact the story at all and I can still enjoy the comic for being a pretty solid issue. It's, again, not mind-blowing. It's not any kind of earth-shattering important issue, but it's a lot of fun, and personally, I enjoy that kind of meta context. I mean, how weird is it to see Roy Thomas, who wrote this issue, in the issue? 
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Before I go, I want to mention that I'm recording this episode in day number two of my COVID-19 self-quarantine. It is not that I have the virus. Uh, I am actually in better health probably than I have been in about the last two months. I did mention a few weeks ago on Facebook that I had been fighting a bunch of illnesses, nothing severe, a couple of really bad colds and the flu. Turns out I have a a two and a half year old and a a one year old at home and we've been, you know, really working on teaching them to share and they just shared all of their illnesses all the time. So I just kind of rolled from, from one minor health concern to another, um, but because I do have young children at home, my bosses were gracious enough to to say that, yes, I do, in fact, have um, some high risk uh, folks at home and that I should uh, quarantine and, and not risk uh, further exposing myself and then therefore uh, my kids uh, to this virus. Now, having said all of that, obviously, you know, I'll be be doing this for a couple of weeks, uh, hopefully only a couple of weeks. But obviously, I am not the only one out there. There are probably a number of you out there who are involved in something like this. And, you know, I want to encourage you guys, do what you need to do. Keep up your sanity. Talk to friends on the phone. Text people. Use FaceTime. By all means, start conversations on our Facebook page. You know, use that as an outlet. Discuss the Avengers. Have an Avengers movie marathon and talk about it on the Facebook page. I would love for that to to be able to provide that service for you guys and that outlet i understand how important human contact can be in in times like this that that are are shockingly stressful on top of that i'm i'm looking into various ideas of things i can do i may put up a a poll uh for a uh special edition episode maybe a, a user voted on episode things we can things i can talk about so yeah if you guys if there's anything you guys want or need from us that can help you get through uh those more difficult moments then please by all means uh reach out to us next episode we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 84, The Sword and the Sorceress. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.